0: It's a good posture to consider this morning, bowing the knee before him. My uh, mind goes back to an elderly lady, previous church, has been in heaven for many years now. She came to me one time weeping. She said, Pastor, I'm so brokenhearted. She said, my knees are so bad, I can no longer bend down and pray. And I said, oh, dear lady, I called her by name. I said, you understand that that you don't have to be on your knees to pray. You can be in any position. And she said, really? (laughs) Really? I like being on my knees sometimes, but I don't pray that way all the time. So praise the Lord. Uh, Book of John is where I want you to be this morning. The very beginning of the book of John, John chapter 1. As I was studying the Gospels, I recognized that John gives us a different point of view than the other synoptics, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And I I didn't really understand what the basis of that view was or why he saw things differently until I did a, a deeper dive. and Come to find out that John lived longer, for one thing, than the other apostles. He lived longer than Paul. And so he didn't even write his epistle until the others were passed on, were dead. So he saw the condition of the church. It it had grown phenomenally so since the other disciples had passed away. The church was not the same as it was. In its infancy, it was full of saved Jews. But now the church, by the time that John writes this, 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 this gospel, is primarily Gentiles, saved Gentiles. As Paul has has covered the known region, building churches all over, and these churches are exploding and building other churches. And so now the the church, which began with just that little fledgling group, has exploded into this incredible, incredible organization. Well, John's got a burden because he recognizes that in order for the, the, the truth of the gospel to be represented clearly for the Gentiles, who did not have the, the same background as the Jew, the Gentile would need it in a totally different venue. Up until now, it had have been presented in a, with a, a Jewish flair. But to truly understand it, to comprehend it, they would have to understand much of Judaism. Well, John's burden was to share a gospel of Jesus Christ that did not force them to go back and... New catechism in the Jewish faith and so I was so blessed when I understood that John 3 16 for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him <laughs> whosoever believeth in him shall not perish but have everlasting life was written from a heart that wanted to share the gospel of Jesus Christ freely and clearly without adding any confusions or distractions to it this is why we have the gospel most plainly written in the book of john that you and i we non-jews can grasp it understand it i opened my series by trying to make sense of john 1 1. in the beginning was the word and the word was with god and the word was god the same was in the beginning with god enormously powerful truth there but as I shared oftentimes felt guilty by giving this to a new convert saying why don't you just read the book of John and then come back and their eyes were crossing <laughs> What, what did they just read but as we learned last week that Jesus Jesus is the word the full expression of his father you say you say show us the father the disciples asked and Jesus said, you've already seen the Father in that you've seen me. If you know me, you know the Father. I read the first verse. But let me read it again. John chapter 1, beginning of verse 1 and following. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. And the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him. And without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. One of the things that I learned in my study, recent study of the Gospels is that John's Gospel exposes much of what Jesus' ministry was at the very beginning whereas the other Gospels take a much later and start later with his ministry. And so I ask myself, well, what is it that John gives us in those early days of Jesus' ministry that is important? And that's what I want to share with you this morning. So let's have a word of prayer, and then I'll give to you the beginnings of a great ministry. Dear Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you so much for the Gospel of John. I can't begin to imagine the pressure that John felt there on the Isle of Patmos, being uh, exiled there for his faith, being persecuted for simply preaching the gospel. Lord, I thank you for allowing him, under inspiration, to pen this amazing gospel. And so, Lord, this morning, would you help us to have a clearer perspective of you and of your, your early ministry? through this wonderful book and we'll thank you for it for we love you in Jesus name amen in the gospel of John we see how Jesus was introduced in his public ministry how he was perceived in his as he began his ministry prior to his public ministry as lamb of God he was baptized first of all by John the Baptist John's Gospel includes a considerable amount of time in which his ministry overlaps that of John the Baptist which is interesting because the other Gospels present it after John's ministry John records what Jesus did before John the Baptist was imprisoned while the others relay events after John the Baptist came to bear witness of the light so in John's gospel he introduces Jesus first of all as the Lamb of God but before he does Jesus was baptized by John and then he fasted 40 days and was tempted by the devil so before Jesus comes on the scene as this incredible prophet his public ministry he first of all was baptized And then he fasted for 40 days and was tempted by the devil then we start seeing what's interesting to me that I'd never quite followed before we start seeing the calendar being followed day one day two day three in Jesus public ministry what happened in those very first days of his public ministry well it tells us Day one, John 1 and verse 6 and 7. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. The same came for a witness, to bear witness of the light, that all men through him might believe. The next day, John seeth Jesus coming unto him and saith, Now the next day is the next day of John speaking to the group. So the day after that, John has spoken to the Pharisees, the next day, notice what happens. And saith, Behold, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. And John, verse 32, bare record, saying, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and it abode on him, and I knew him not. But he that sent me to baptize with water, the same said unto me, Upon whom thou shalt see the Spirit descending, and remaining on him, the same is he which baptizeth with the Holy Ghost. So the first day, Jesus' ministry, he shows up, he says, Behold, the Lamb of God, John said. Day one. Behold, the Lamb of God. In John 1.35, again the next day after, John stood, and two of his disciples, and looking upon Jesus as he walked, this is the next day, so day number two, he saith, Behold, the Lamb of God. First day, behold the Lamb of God. Second day, behold the Lamb of God. So how was Jesus perceived at the very beginning of His ministry? Well, according to John, it was as the Lamb of God. Now, it's interesting because these two places that I just read, day one and day two, found in the book of John, are the only places in the Bible... The phrase Lamb of God, the specific phrase, is used. Lamb of God. What does God's Lamb symbolize? Well, first of all, it symbolized a pitiful sacrifice for sin. And when I say pitiful, I mean full of pity. I've done my share of hunting. I enjoy hunting. But there's still just that little twinge of going over and seeing the animal and perhaps the animal is still twitching <laughs> there or perhaps you didn't get a real clean shot the first time and the animal is still alive when you all walk over and realize the animal is suffering There, there's still that twinge but I have never killed an animal with white wool killed plenty of squirrels Rabbits, which were not white, killed a deer. Killed a bunch of things I probably shouldn't have killed. But never a lamb. And my mind's eye goes to them taking that sharp knife and slitting the neck of that precious little lamb. And then immediately seeing that white wool being stained crimson red. Why? What a gory sight. What a gruesome thing to consider. Ah, that's the effect sin is supposed to have on man. They're supposed to comprehend it as gruesome and horrible and begin seeing it sickening like God does. Jesus was called the Lamb of God. Signifying a sacrifice for sins. Coming out of Egypt, the Lord placed one last plague on Pharaoh. Remember? Last plague. Ten plagues. The last plague was the death of the firstborn. Now in his mercy, God said to his own people, he said, you go out and you take a lamb and you slay that lamb and you take blood from that lamb and you put it on the posts of the door the blood and you apply it to the post of the door and on every doorpost that has the blood when the death angel comes to kill the firstborn I will pass over your home but you must put the blood from the lamb on the doorpost Exodus 12, verse 3, Speak ye unto all the congregation of Israel, saying, In the tenth day of this month they shall take to them every man a lamb, according to the house of their fathers, a lamb for a house. Verse 6, And ye shall keep it up until the fourteenth day of the same month, and the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it, a lamb, in the evening. And they shall take of the blood and strike it on the two side posts and the upper door post of the houses wherein they shall eat it. 1 Corinthians 5.7, the New Testament reads, Purge out therefore the old leaven, that ye may be a new lump as ye are unleavened. For notice, Christ our Passover is sacrificed for us I will pass over all of the doors that have the blood on the doorposts I will be their Passover Jesus was our Passover he came to us he says and if there's blood applied to your sin I will indeed pass over you but if there's no blood applied to your sin you will die Hmm. sounds to me like it's important to have the blood applied to our sin I had the blood applied to my sin as 11 year old boy when I knelt down and prayed and trusted Jesus Christ as my personal Savior and he washed my sin in his blood my sin was applied his my sin he applied his blood to my sin it was a sinless sacrifice in 1st Peter 1 19 but with the precious blood of Christ as a lamb without blemish and without spot it was a willing sacrifice in Acts eight thirty two. 32 the place of the scripture which he read was this he was led as a sheep to the slaughter and like as a lamb dumb before his shearer so opened he not his mouth he was a singular sacrifice Hebrews nine twenty eight. So Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many, and unto them that look for Him shall He appear the second time without sin unto salvation. So when John looked at Jesus and said, Behold, the Lamb of God, Jesus was introducing Himself to the world as a sacrifice. The one, the spotless one, the eternal one who came to dwell among man and offer himself as a sacrifice for the sins of man. Behold the Lamb of God. In the same book, same chapter, chapter 1, the book of John. Verse 40. One of the two which heard John speak and followed him, heard John the Baptist speak, was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first findeth his own brother Simon, and saith unto him, We have found the Messiah, which is, being interpreted, the Christ. We found him! We found him! We found the Messiah! We found him! Shortly after Jesus was introduced by John as the Lamb of God, (laughs) Jesus began calling his disciples, one by one, calling his disciples. And what did this disciple call him? guess what John guess what here we found him we found the Messiah Jesus introduced his ministry and right at the very beginning he was called the Lamb of God and he was called the Messiah we talked about it this morning Messiah means anointed one Christ is the New Testament meaning of Old Testament Messiah anointed one Jesus was the one anointed to be the prophet priest and King He was anointed to be the sacrifice for the sins of the world. Andrew believed that Jesus was the long-awaited Messiah of Old Testament prophecy, come to save his people from their sins. Day three. Day one, behold the Lamb of God. Day two, behold the Lamb of God. And he's the Messiah. Day 3. John 1, verse 43. The day following, Jesus would go forth into Galilee and findeth Philip and saith unto him, Follow me. Verse 45. Philip findeth Nathanael and saith unto him, By the way, what I'm going to read for you is the only time in the Gospels we have this discourse. You mean Nathanael actually speaks? Well, yes. We wouldn't know it, however, if it weren't for John's Gospel. Verse 45, we have found him of whom Moses in the law and the prophets did write, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathanael said unto him, Can there any good thing come out of Nazareth? Well, Philip saith unto him, Come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming unto him, and saith unto him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom is no guile. Nathanael saith unto him, Whence knowest thou me? Jesus answered and said unto him, Before that Philip called thee, when thou wast under the fig tree, I saw thee. Nathanael answered and said unto him, Rabbi or teacher, thou art the Son of God. Thou art the King of Israel. Jesus answered and said unto him, Because I said unto thee, I saw thee under the fig tree, believest thou? Thou shalt see greater things than these. And he saith unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Hereafter ye shall see heaven open, and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. Notice when Nathaniel said, You are the Son of God. Jesus didn't say, Oh, don't say that. You can't call me that. He allowed him to call him the Son of God. Nathanael came. To that meeting of Jesus unbelieving. Oh, there can't anything good come out of Nazareth. Nazareth! Well, Cana, Cana was where, where Nathaniel was from, and Cana and Nazareth were rival cities. They looked down on one another. Nathaniel then believed after Jesus told him that he had seen him and where he had been. Nathaniel believed, and Nathaniel called him the Son of God. In John 1, And I knew him not, but he that sent me to baptize with water, the same said unto me, Upon whom thou shalt see the Spirit descending, this is John the Baptist speaking, and remaining on him the same as he which baptizeth with the Holy Ghost. And I saw, notice, and bear record that this is the Son of God. Nathanael, called Jesus on day three of his public ministry the Son of God John the Baptist called Jesus the Son of God the Holy Spirit came down as a dove the Bible said as Jesus was coming out of the water after John baptized him John saw that impression he heard the voice from heaven saying this is my beloved son in whom i am well pleased john the baptist witnessed that and of jesus whom he had called the lamb of god now he says he is the son of god in matthew 14:33, the disciples had been in a boat and they and they saw jesus walking on the water and of course this is where Peter says, if it, be the, if it be you, Lord, bid me come to be with you. And Peter gets out of the boat and walks on the water. Incredible. At least for a few steps before st- sinking. In this passage, then they that were in the ship, after Jesus helped Peter get back in the ship, came and worshipped him, saying, of a truth thou art the son of god they saw jesus calm the storm this is the son of god in matthew 16:16 16, 16, and simon peter answered and said thou art the christ the son of the living god after peter had witnessed jesus perform numerous miracles Jesus asked him, Peter, whom do men say that I am? Peter said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Peter had watched Jesus multiply a few fish and feed 5,000 people with those fish. Peter had actually been empowered to walk on the water because of this Jesus. And Peter exclaimed, Thou art the Son of the living God. After witnessing the amazing power of God, one after another exclaimed, You are the Son of God. His first public miracle was done three days after his conversation with Nathaniel. John 2 and verse 1. And the third day there was a marriage in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there, and both Jesus was called and his disciples to the marriage. And, of course, we know that Jesus turned the water to wine on that day. Miracle! Miracle! Salvaged the wedding. In John 2, in verse 11, it says, This beginning of miracles. So, lest you have any confusion, I wonder what Jesus' first miracle was. Well, we're told. John's Gospel specifies it. This beginning of miracles. The turning of the water to wine did Jesus in Cana of Galilee, and manifested forth His glory, and His disciples believed on Him. And then Jesus left Galilee and went to Judea. So, the introduction of Jesus in His public ministry was a very eye-opening revelation of who this man is. The Son of God. The Messiah. The Lamb of God. powerful introduction these men know who this man is the very first days of his public ministry Wow they know who he is that means that means he's off to an incredible start everybody's gonna know who he is they're gonna all receive him as the Son of God he's the Messiah to all of them right so he begins his public ministry with these powerful identifications Of who he is. But then, he has an introduction to some problems. In John chapter 3, so we're still in the very beginning of Jesus' public ministry. And John's gospel is recording these aspects that the other gospels don't mention. John chapter 3, verse 22. After these things came Jesus and his disciples into the land of Judea. And there he tarried with them and baptized. Now, it's interesting, and we're going to be taught here in just a moment, that Jesus did not actually baptize himself, his disciples baptized. And the scriptures tell us that very plainly. But what we see is a maturing of the ministry, the public ministry of Christ, because now he is winning people to himself, and they are now being baptized no longer in the name of John the Baptist, but the name of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. With that in mind, verse 23 And John also, this is John the Baptist, was also baptizing in Anon near Salem because there was much water there and they came and were baptized. So here's what is unique about John's gospel. He mentions the fact that Jesus and his disciples were baptizing converts over here. At the very same time, John the Baptist was baptizing converts over here. It was going on simultaneously. That's important to remember. Verse 24, for John was not yet cast into prison. Then, notice verse 25, then there arose a question between some of John's disciples and the Jews about purifying. Now what we think this purifying is, is their association of baptism with the Old Testament practices of purifying before sacrifice. The priest would have to be, be uh, 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 ceremonial, cleansed, have to wash his hands and go through the ceremonial cleansing, or purifying before offering the sacrifice. And so in their minds, the baptism was a purification, a, a symbol of being purified before the Lord. That's how they looked at it. So that's why they call it purification here, being pur- purified. Verse 26, and these disciples, John's disciples, they came to John. And said unto him, Rabbi, Master, he that was with thee beyond Jordan, referring to Jesus, to whom thou bearest witness, behold, the same baptizeth, and all men come to him. We got a problem, John. Here, your entire ministry is calling people to repentance in the kingdom of God, and you're baptizing people, but he's doing it, and his disciples are doing it over there. We got a problem, John. There's a problem. What's John's answer? I love this. Verse 27. John answered and said, A man can receive nothing except it be given him from heaven. In other words, fellas, everything we have is from God. We have no right to compare. Comparing is a complaint to God. Now, I'm going to take just a step back here and apply this truth right now. Now, I'm sure none of you have done this, but there have been times in my life where I've seen somebody else get something that I didn't have. And I felt like it was a little bit unfair because I had worked harder. I had been on my job longer. They got the promotion before I did. And quite frankly, I didn't like them, and now I don't like them. There's just something in us Just something in us that is always comparing, always comparing one against another. Well, the Bible calls that comparison, that looking at others and then getting a little little upset over that, it calls it envy. Come to find out, envy is a, a grievous, grievous sin in God's eyes. And here we're told why. Because John said, everything we have is from God. Well, if that is true, which, of course, it is true, and we look at somebody else that gets something from God that we didn't get, we're saying, God, you blew it! You should have given that to me, and we're mad at God. Our accusation, our anger seems to be at them, but God is feeling it personally because it came from Him, and we're actually accusing Him. It's a grievous sin. John's disciples, sounds like they're complaining a little bit, There's some envy here. Jesus is baptizing more than you are. They're all running to Him. So what's right? Your baptism or His? Verse 28, John 3. Ye yourselves bear me witness, John said, that I said, I am not the Christ, but that I am sent before Him. You see, our ministry is not to promote ourselves; it's to promote Christ. We're not to promote us, we're to promote Him. The glory is not to come to us, it's to go to Him. John said, I told you from the beginning, I am not Christ. I am not the Christ. I am not the Anointed One. I am not the Messiah. I came to prepare a place for Him, and I was sent before Him. Like the apostles, John was sent with a mission to promote Christ. They are all sent ones. This is interesting. John says, but that I am sent before him. The word sent here is the word from where we get the word apostle. If you would look at the transliteration, there, it would look like almost in the Greek, it would almost look like apostle. Or we could say I am sent to apostle as an apostle before him. Now, this doesn't mean he's one of the 12 apostles. The word apostle means to be sent, a sent one. That's what it means, a sent one. John was saying, I have been sent with a mission, and that mission is to prepare the place for Jesus, prepare the way for him. Just like you and I are to be sent ones. In Mark 16, 15, we are called sent ones. He says, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. We are sent ones to the world. So first of all, I am Christ's sent one. Secondly, he says, I am Christ's friend. Verse 29, he that hath the bride is the bridegroom. But the friend of the bridegroom, which standeth and heareth him, rejoiceth greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. This, my joy, therefore, is fulfilled. So John says, I rejoice at his voice. I am thrilled that he's finally here. The Lamb of God is here, and I rejoice in this. Don't be upset, man. Don't be upset that he's baptizing more than we are. Don't be upset. There's no reason, because the one that was prophesied is now here. And then he says in verse 30, He must increase, but I must decrease. My ministry is now to decrease, fellows, but his is to increase. Ours is to be one of glorifying him and building up his ministry now. Envy among the disciples was to be destroyed by focusing now on Christ. How could they break that horrible, horrible pattern of envy? John says, look to Jesus. Look to Jesus. So the first problem that Jesus faced in His public ministry was envy. Now, I found this really interesting. The first problem that Jesus faced in His public ministry, after being introduced with these amazing names of who He really was, was the sin of envy. Now, this follows because in John chapter 4, again, toward the beginning of Jesus' ministry, it says, "...when therefore the Lord knew how the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John. Here it is, verse 2. Though Jesus himself baptized not, but his disciples, he left Judea and departed again into Galilee. And he must needs go through Samaria. Of course, Samaria is where he met the woman at the well. So here we find out that when the Pharisees began to find out that Jesus was winning more disciples than John, Jesus perceived they were getting upset. The Pharisees, the religious leaders, were getting upset because Jesus' ministry was now being prolific. It was growing. So the response to Jesus' ministry was the Lord quickly became more successful in His ministry than John did. And John's ministry was phenomenally successful. Well, Jesus was even more successful jesus ministry was a growing irritant to the pharisees why well because the pharisees we know now were very full of themselves and they wanted all the attention to come to themselves they were in no position to share it with anybody as long as people were basically worshiping them as religious leaders and bowing down before them, they were happy. But what's happening now is Jesus is winning all these converts to himself, and they're no longer getting excited about us. They like him better than me, they're saying. Envy. Jesus' popularity and message was met by a great envy by the Jewish leadership. Now, here's what I found interesting. The first problem that i see revealed <clears throat> that jesus met in his public ministry first problem number one problem first conflict was envy what was it that caused jesus to be nailed to a cross later on in his public ministry we're both told in matthew 27 17 and 18 Therefore, when they were gathered together, Pilate said unto him, about three years later, Whom will ye that I release unto you Barabbas, or Jesus, which is called Christ? For he knew that for envy they had delivered him. The Jews, because of envy, delivered him to be crucified. Why did the Jews get all upset? Or they were bothered? Because of envy. What was Jesus' first problem ran into? Envy. What was one of the last ones he ran into? Envy. Now, before I go on, does that mean it's possible that you and I may struggle with that same sin, with comparing, among others, with having a hard time keeping a right relationship with God if we see somebody else being blessed and we're not? Envy. What was Jesus' response to their envy? Well, first of all, in verse number three. It says, Jesus, he he left Judea and departed again into Galilee. He at this time did not enter into a fight over it. When he knew the Pharisees were getting stirred up, envious, he simply left. He did not try and justify his position at this time. It was the beginning of his ministry. In verse 3 and 4, he left Judea, departed again into Galilee, and he must needs go through Samaria one of the reasons that Jesus left because he was looking for somebody who would listen to his ministry those Pharisees were not gonna listen to him they were in no mood whatsoever to hear his message but he knew of a woman that would be interested but it would not be a woman that any of the disciples would expect in fact they would all categorically encourage him not to talk to this woman don't talk to her why because she's a Samaritan which means very little to us today but bottom line it was was other side of the tracks this is the, the poor part of town the offensive people she's one of them in John 7 38 he that believeth on me as the scripture hath said He tells this woman, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. Jesus left and did not get into a debate with the Pharisees, knowing they would not listen to him. He went to Samaria, knowing that there was a woman there who needed his message and would be be willing to listen to him. (laughs) That woman not only heard his message, she ran into her city, and she broadcast loudly what He had done, and the city came out to him, and many, many converts were one. Why? They had ears to hear. They were not swimming in the sin of envy. Conclusion. In the beginning of Jesus' ministry, he was recognized as the Lamb of God, the Messiah. The Son of God, by those with believing eyes to see. Unbelief in the beginning, starting with the envy of John's disciples, and then the envy of the Jewish leaders, developed into that which finally put him on the cross. Today, Believing eyes allow us to see and follow the powerful Christ for who He really is. Unbelief robs us of the ability to see Him and from the confidence to follow Him. Have you ever felt like crying out? Where are you, God? Where are you? I need you, and I can't find you. I need you. Well, believing eyes can see Him. They recognize and believe that He says, I will never leave you or forsake you. In John 14, 12, it says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that believeth on me, the works that I do, shall he do also. And greater works than these shall he do, because I go unto my Father. To whom is this written? To him that believes on him. So, I've been talking a lot recently about the end times. Our Isaiah study on Wednesdays, a lot of end times material. was well, not that long ago, I brought a series on the book of Revelation. End times, looking to what's going to happen. I am 100% convinced that it's not going to be long before the Lord comes. 100% convinced. I am just as convinced as Paul was. I really think it's going to be soon. I really do. I don't think we have much time to serve the Lord left. I believe that the opportunities that we have are going to be today. If, if the Lord does choose to, to, to tarry, and he doesn't come in the next week, <laughs> next few years, I'm looking at some people right now we will have already had their funeral. Because people die. That's that's the natural part of life. They die. And I don't know who it's going to be. I have no idea. And it doesn't necessarily uh, honor age. Sometimes young people die. So either way, we need to be concerned about living our lives today believing in Him. I want us, Hope Baptist Church, to accomplish all that God has for us. I want to leave the thumbprint in our community and region that He wants us to have. That's what I desperately long for and pray for. And that means us in our own individual area, spheres of influence, whether that be around our neighborhood, where we work, where we go to school, In those those places where we shop, having an influence on people around us. And that influence may be simply giving them a track. And some people aren't going to accept it. I got a sneer from a fellow at Taco Bell. Reached to the window. But he took it. But the fellow before that, a couple times ago, smiled and said, well, thank you. He may take it, and throw it away. I don't know, but but ours is to simply plant the seeds. Wherever we go. Jesus began his ministry. And ran into some problems, teaching us that as you begin your ministry, you're going to run into some problems. It's the nature of the beast. That's the way it's going to be. But what's the answer? The answer is keeping our eyes on Him and believing. And as we believe that He's still there, He's still there for us, He's still empowering us, He hasn't tripped up, we didn't misunderstand His calling, it's simply when we choose to follow Him, there's going to be obstacles and pressures and problems. And so we continue to follow Him, and that's my encouragement to you today. So, are you trusting Christ today? Are you trusting Christ, first of of all, for salvation? Has there been a time in your life where you've put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, And Jesus alone, not your works, not your righteousness, but in Him. Realizing that you are not righteous in your own. We are unrighteous. But putting your faith and trust in Him. Have you ever trusted Christ for salvation? Secondly, are you trusting Him today? To lead you, to guide you, to be your strength today? Oh, the amazing things that can be done for Christ. If we will but believe. Only believe. Only believe. All things are possible. Only believe. Only believe. Only believe. All things are possible, only believe. Dear Lord, thank you for your love and this time. Forgive us for our unbelieving hearts. Lord, I thank you for each individual here today, and I thank you, Holy Spirit, that you have a job to do and desire it in each person here. Speak to our hearts today, Lord, and pray that you might perform that in us that you long to do. Help us to get our eyes off of comparing among others and on you, thanking you for all that you would bring into our lives. And Lord, I pray that today you might help us to believe in you, realizing that you have all power, all power to lead us, to guide us, to direct us, to help us to do your will and even to speak the truth and sharing the gospel with those around us. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed, no one's looking around. Has the Spirit of God spoken to your heart today? Has there been a time in your life where you have come to Christ knowing full well that you're a sinner? There's no sin in heaven, but you believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross to pay for your sins. Has there been a time in your life where you have confessed your sin put your faith and trust in Jesus and have been saved have you done that if not if not behold today is the day of salvation you could do it today I wonder in the quietness of this morning with no one looking around if you do not know for sure that heaven is your home when you die I'd sure like to pray for you there be anyone in this auditorium who say, Pastor, pray for me this morning. I do not know for sure that heaven is my home, but I want to know. Please pray for me. If that's your testimony, would you raise your hand so I can see it right now? Anyone? Pastor, pray for me. I don't know. I'm going to heaven, but I want to know. Dear Lord, thank you for these who have put their faith and trust in you. Help them, I pray, grow in their confidence and belief in you. And I pray that, Lord, that you might accomplish great and powerful things for your glory. And, oh, God, would you help us to share the gospel, and may many come to know you because of it. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.